Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas Podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada. I'm a perimenopausal mama to my toddler named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed. I'm a naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Alberta. And I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Welcome back, everyone, to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast. Today, this is Dr. Tony, and we are going to continue part two of my conversation with Calgary-based musician, songwriter, teacher, and writer, Kenna Barema, uh, where we jumped in and talked about motherhood, creativity, moving through um, postpartum depression, Kenna's really open and frank conversation around all of those pieces. If you haven't listened to part one, I do suggest going back and listening to that first. Or who knows, maybe you're adventurous and you just want to jump into this conversation in the middle. Um, Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. So what you've you've shared, this whole big Uh, again, big journey that we just aren't aware of when we're actually starting it. We have no clue clue. what motherhood is going to look like. We can have this kind of idea. And even, you know, I think that piece of, of, you know, really taking the time to look and it's like, what do I need? What do I need to ask for? Like, that's a whole process that we just aren't taught. No. And, and, and I don't know about you, I know, for me, too, it was even getting to that place where I didn't even know how to go through the process to actually find those answers and get those answers. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that so many times, there's just no space, mm-hmm. right, to be able to at like, to be able to ask those questions, because it's just full on all the time, all the time, all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, I, I realized, and, and, and I, it, comparison is never a, a good thing. Uh, certainly. Um, but I, I certainly could see lessons of, of what I, of directions that I wanted to go. Right. And I, and I think that this maybe speaks less to comparison and more to community and mm-hmm. how important, um, community mm-hmm. is and i know that it's it's a hot word it's a trendy word mm-hmm. what does it mean mm-hmm. um certainly what i have experienced within this last year as well as in those early years um is the the concept of community can get sort of unwieldy but a village yeah right which yeah. which was a much more tangible um thing that I could conceive because I have an incredible family, but I also have this network of friends around me who are a village and particularly now as a single mom, um, realizing like, yeah, we, how many times do I, we toss out, Oh, it takes a village. It takes a village. Right. And it takes a village, not just like in terms of like the accidental of someone like dropping something off, uh, that would be helpful. It's like 
for me, what I realized is it takes a village is that the literal going to ask someone for help. Right. And so, um, for me, it's asking another mom who I know is super busy, but, Mm -hmm. but like, Hey, can you take my kid for a couple hours and your kids play and I go do this or whatever it is. Right. Like, I think that for me, it was the realization that, um, yes, I'm in it and I'm so in it to the point that I need help. Um, but that I could witness that everyone else was in it. So how dare I ask for help Yeah. when, how could I burden anyone yeah. with, with it? Yeah. Um, but what I realized, uh, was that, um, everyone wants to help and, uh, at least the, at least the people that I hang with want to help. And what's so great is that, especially over the last couple of years, people seem to be also able to say no. Um, Because I think I'd always been so fearful. I I am a very, um, I, I, well, how do I say this? I have always worried that like people don't say no. Like, like I, I like to think of myself as a amiable, easy person, but I also am very uh, forthright and take up a lot of space. And so I would have this fear that like, that I would ask for something and and then people wouldn't feel like they could say no to me because it's kind of, I don't know. I, I just, I, I told myself all sorts of stories as to why I didn't ask for help. I think, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone on that. Yeah. Um, sure. You were good at justifying it. Yeah. I was good at, ju- I was good at justifying it. Good at justifying all sorts of, all sorts of things. But um, what happens to people, especially when they're in it too, when they can for a moment help someone else, like there is something to be said for, being in service yeah, and, and certainly that like, it's, you know, when it goes over into, you're not taking care of your own needs to be in service of everyone else. That is absolutely a thing. Um, but that nothing brings me more joy than to help out someone when they ask. Yeah. And so rarely, um, and I have done it where I've been able to be like, actually just happened today. Uh, where uh, a friend of mine, um, a, a fellow mom, three kids, uh, asked, "Oh, would you like to come and house sit and look after my cat and water my garden?" And and um, and I was like, "Oh, I'd really like to help her." Oh, but I can't. And so uh, it took me a day to respond because it was like I was saying no. Yeah. But I realized it's like, well, here's the reason I'm saying no. I know I don't even need to say it, um, but I can help you out in this way. Like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. come and do some visits, check on your cat, water your garden here mm-hmm. and there. Mm-hmm. And the response was, oh, my God, I'm so happy that you. Yeah, of course, you're such a smart mama. Like, first, I got a celebratory hells yeah for saying no, which I do to my friends all the time. When anyone tells me no, Wonderful. I immediately say Wonderful. I immediately celebrate it. And she did that to me. And she's like, oh, thank you so much. Okay, well, I'll get back to you if if I need the help. And I realized that like, even though I'm at capacity, I couldn't help her in the way that she needed help. I was so happy to be able to offer some sort of help. Yeah. Uh, and I think that most people are like that. Um, and I also have to trust people, right? Yes. In the same way yes. that like, if they're saying yes, then they're saying they're saying yes, because they can. But what I've been doing is um, I have found a number of friends. We can't like, instead of just like canceling as a sort of habitual cancel, yeah. it's like, Hey, I'm canceling on you because I'm at this capacity and I can't do it. Can we reschedule? Or can I get back to you in a couple of weeks? Like that kind of mm-hmm. realization that, Oh yeah, I've overbooked myself. Like I always appreciate that. And, and honestly, I never, um, yeah. People canceling or changing plans, I have yeah. I have no problem with. Yeah, right? Yeah, for sure, right. And I totally agree. There is really something to like 
we want to be useful. We want to help people. We want to support people. And it feels good to, to be able to do that. And again, in ways that we can manage and that we have the resources for, again, that's the whole thing on boundaries. We talked about previous podcast episode, and which I'm sure we'll talk more about for me. And, and then it is about, again, the service that we can give to other people. And that looks different in different ways. It looks different on the day. And and I think that was, uh, I have a very wise sister who, um, when I was really, really in it, um, she was just training. She was just coaching me. She, she mm-hmm. uh, I'd wake up and she'd go, um, cause I had moved in with her and her mm-hmm. family, uh, mm-hmm. with my daughter for four months. And it was an incredible experience to be able to, um, raise our kids communally for, for four oh, months. Nice. Um, it was such a wonderful experience. She has, uh, and my brother-in-law, they're just, ah, oh, incredible. And I, and I got actually the same thing. So I lived with my sister and her family for four months and then transitioned and moved in then with my brother and his sister-in-law uh, and his wife mm-hmm. uh, for another four months, three months. And it was an incredible experience. It was very humbling, um, you know, as the eldest sibling, not having my, uh, you know, just having to go through, uh, yeah, just having to go through a complete uh, reworking of my life mm-hmm. that necessitated um, living with family. Um she reminded me, I think for the first three months after I'd left, um, she, we'd wake up and, uh, and she's like, so what's the one, one thing we're going to do today? Is it going to be that we're just going to go for a walk? You know, like she just really retrained me. Um, in, in, and I think also she knew that I was just like in trauma mode at capacity that there was this retraining that it's okay that you do one thing today and if that yeah. one thing is that you feed ellie and then i like it, it became um pretty incredible to be able to be supported in finding what my true capacity was mm. um because capacity has been a new thing uh a new concept for me because i've just capacity i just run myself to uh, like pass the point yeah. of humans right like just yeah. and like never acknowledging capacity it's just like yes i'll do that Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I can take care of you. Yes, I'm taking care of you. Uh, and and never taking care of myself. Um, and so to now <laughs> negotiate, not with other people, but to negotiate with myself and be like, okay, so if I'm doing this, will I actually be able to do all the other things? Because now I have a very robust, and I wonder if um, you've covered this, and I'm sure you have, that Anyone, at least that I've discovered, who has gone through some sort of dark night of the soul um, or some sort of process, I have, uh, I now uh, relish in saying that I'm high maintenance mm. in the way that I have a lengthy page. It's, it's, a, it's a page list of things that could be considered self-care. Um, yes. That are things that I do. Um, and literally it could be a full-time job. Like, and I would love that. I would love for someone to just pay, pay me for me to take care of myself. Wouldn't that be amazing? Job is just to do the things that pleases me. Right. So I have a full list of, of, so what I realized that was really important was Mm -hmm. yes. Uh, speaking to a professional, um, writing daily or close to daily, um, songwriting. And so what happened was, um, when I realized that I was returning to songwriting and that, um, as I sat there, so I'm coming 
coming back full mm-hmm. circle. Yeah. Because songwriting has been such an like the thing for me, the tool for 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 healing, mm-hmm. truly. Uh, which always feels kind of woo-woo and weird, but it, it it is. It is what it is. We love woo-woo. Ah, fabulous. I'm in the I'm in the right circles. <laughs> um that uh I was starting it felt that I was just receiving. Um and, and that uh it was just and it wasn't any sort of like channeling uh spirit or or anything like it. It just felt like that it was just a much more organic, natural flow of 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 art, of music, of of what I was meant to do. Um, but that there was so much um, less of a um, conscious effort in that, rather that I was just opening myself up and allowing whatever. Uh, to either come out or come in or that I didn't really have to be concerned with like, well, who's writing this or, or, or anything like that. It was just a process of sitting down and, and being curious and, and, and just playing, um, which I, which I realized also fed into this, you know, idea of healing my inner child. And so what I started doing when I realized that music was coming to me as I sat down and, and would wait for it, um, that, uh, I wanted it to have words and those words, um, I really wanted to be true. I didn't, I didn't want to write songs. Um, and I didn't want to write, I didn't really want to write songs that were other people's stories. And so I thought, well, the best, uh, well, the, the easiest story must be my own. And so what I started to do was I'd go back to my journals and sort of read through my journals, which was very harrowing experience, mm-hmm. but I'd start to allow like, what was, uh, shiny. What, what did I like about like, Oh, that word was interesting. Oh, the way I wrote that. I like that. So I just started lifting lyrics. Uh, and then as I continued to write my journal journaling started to become more poetic, uh, more with the intent that I was still purging myself of, of, of stuff, but that I was also, um, knowing that I would be using this material in some way Mm -hmm. and so that I was still being completely honest and and writing down things that I was even scared to say to my therapist which then allowed me to say those things to my therapist Mm -hmm. um you know as a healthy process of like I'm gonna write them down first see how I feel about it oh yeah that doesn't seem too scary it seemed really scary in my head hey it doesn't seem so scary on paper Okay, maybe I'll talk about this with my with my therapist. Um, and then maybe I'll take some of like some of this and put it into a song. And so I started I started working with what I was writing um in my journals and weaving them into lyrical content for my songs. And so the album that I call While She Sleeps, the the song cycle became just a um a collection of songs that depicted me going about my day from the moment I woke up. Mm-hmm until the moment I went to sleep multiple times. <laughs> right. So, so it started with, a, you know, morning, um, then afternoon, evening, late at night, late, late at night, and and then sort of resolution. And, uh, and, and as I sort of started to clock these different um, emotional states that I'd be in, depending on the day, the song would absolutely unfold. Like um, I found afternoons very, very, very challenging emotionally. Um, and I realized, and it wasn't until I started writing this song, I'm like, oh, this is anxiety. Cause I never clocked myself as a, as an anxious person, mm-hmm. but, um, maybe your listeners will know this, uh, the feeling of like, 
like a woolen sweater, wet woolen sweater, but it's electrified. So it's like an electric wool blanket, but it's like got a little bit of electric charge going through and it's a little bit too tight. Um, and that was, uh, that's what I was like, oh, this is anxiety. I didn't know that this is what anxiety felt like. And so being able to write a song depicting my experience with anxiety, um, it became an incredible, um, again, I'm using hand gestures, great for podcasts <laughs> that I, um, that I, that I was able to honor and acknowledge the experience and the emotions that I was having as I was experiencing them, document them, and then be able to start to witness them. And then be able to work with them and play with them in an artistic practice. And it was just such, um, I will, I am going to swear again. It was just such a fucking incredible revelation. It wasn't even a realization. It was a revelation um, that this, there was some like that this was important what I was doing and that it was just something that I wanted to do. It wasn't something that I went, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I am instead oh i want to do this right like i I feel that i need to do this and so um so yeah then these songs uh happened and uh, (laughs) as any as any artist will know that's not how it happened (laughs) but it did it is just that easy right it's just that easy right and 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 so um and so yeah and, and i mean interestingly um so now you're now so so this is you know end of June again um it, so I released it fully into the world at the middle of May um I left my husband uh at the end of last July um so I'm coming into a year of um Man, I just like all the things all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and and to speak about one experience, I can't not speak about all the other experiences. Right. So yeah. and I think I alluded to this earlier. It's like motherhood, uh, depression, mental health, um, alcoholism, addiction, um, separation. Right. Like all of those things are all in there yeah. in this yeah. Again, using my hands, and for your listeners, it's like it's it's almost like there's a space. It's it's like a um like if I could like take everything out and just to look at it, all of it is connected. It's like this big web of how uh, I got to be here, and and I was it was never so dire that I ever questioned if I would be here. I'm lucky that I'm not wired in that way, mm-hmm. um, but I was certainly wired that like, well, this is my life, you know, like that I'm depressed, um, that I'm miserable, mm-hmm. filled with resentment, hostile, mm-hmm. um, and also um, just not in a good situation and, and allowing myself to not be in a good situation. And um, and I say allowing myself to not be in a good situation very, very from a very personal perspective because um, I've noticed for myself that um, I always want to be very cognizant of that uh, the ways that I was able to extricate myself from an unhealthy situation and an unhealthy lifestyle and way of living was my own. And the way I went about it um, and the resources that I accessed um, is going to be very personal and particular to me. Sure. And and that whenever I talk about this, be it in a podcast or an interview, or even if I'm you know in a group or in, in whatever setting, that I that at some point at the beginning or more in the middle or at the end that that I that I acknowledge uh, 
that how I went about this, whatever this is, this understanding and place of acceptance for of myself and my life, that it's this isn't how it unfolds for everyone. And yeah. and 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 so I think that yeah, I just I feel that I always need to say that because as shitty as it was, um, I had all the supports, uh, all the people there sort of just helping me, um, holding me, carrying me at, at certain points. Right. Um, but also I didn't have to access any social programs. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have to go to any shelters. I didn't have to like, I am just always, uh, amazed at, um, what we normalize, uh, what we, um, yeah, what we, what we allow ourselves to accept as this is my life. Yeah. Because I think we're particularly, I will say, I feel parents and I will even go on a limb for me. I felt that as a mom, that there is this narrative that is very accepted that, oh, just being a mother, it's hard. It's just hard. Yeah. Suck it up. Yeah. You're a mom. Yep, it's, it's gonna not, suck. It, yeah, and it's not gonna be anything different. Yeah. This is just what it has this to is, be. This is this is what it. And I think also it was connected to like I was told this as a kid, and and, mm. and I think like you know uh, four kids, uh, wild um, family farm that we're all trying to run. It's like, it's like, get over it. Uh, this is how it is. Uh, suck it up. <laughs> uh, like that kind of. And it built like I'm very strong. Mm-hmm. I have an incredible work ethic. All of my family does. All of my siblings were all highly uh, motivated, highly successful in our each of our fields. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all the things, and and yet, um, you know, I think that uh, we drive ourselves. At least I did. I drove myself to this point where finally went. I think that maybe I want to be happy. And maybe this is not it, whatever this is. And, and maybe um, I can do something about it. And and I say maybe because I think it was really, it was really important that I said maybe, because at that point when I had realized that I, um, that I was really miserable and that I was so miserable to the point that, um, that, and I, I think that it must happen for lots of people. It's like, you get so miserable uh, that like, then there's just a breaking point where it's like, you decide that this is how your life is going to be. And like, I'll like, I'll, I come from that line of women on on both sides. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that particularly like there weren't those choices. Like I was born in 78. My mom uh, left my dad when I was 25. Um, she was, she, you know, was on the farm. Like, I don't think that there was those same kind of conversations, resources, um, uh, capabilities of so many pioneering women as well. Right. Like, I think that like, it's just, ah, making the decision to just like, I don't know what I want, but it's can't be this. This is not, this is not what I want. And I know that there's a different way to do it. Um, that 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 in and of itself was so empowering and and so yes i have my again my long list of things that i do um to stay on the path mm-hmm. and the path for me is uh the, the path of um presence awareness and responsibility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
which sounds so, yeah, you know, but uh, it became incredible uh, for me when I realized that if I can be present and aware at all times, which of course is not the case, but like if that is actually where I want to function and that is all that I have to worry about for me, I, I have experienced that everything else becomes much more clear. Yeah. And, and so, and so when everything is much more clear, it means that I'm able to make better choices and, and enact those choices through, through action and, and then, and then better behavior and, and bet like, and, and I mean it, like, I don't mean it from like that sort of endless fucking hamster wheel of self-improvement or self-betterment, but like, yeah. yeah, making better choices. I'm not going to reach for drugs. I'm not going, and I mean drugs like cannabis, mm-hmm. uh, any other, just give me any drug like Re- that. Recreational. Recreational. Yeah. Recreational. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and booze and, and men and, and just like whatever it was. And certainly for me too, busyness, right? Like mm-hmm. just scheduling to a point mm-hmm. where I didn't have time to think. Mm-hmm. Um, so the path for me is that, and the, and, and so again, what I have realized is that like, I'm always so intentful of making a choice. And I've realized that through my childhood and then through the way that I've lived my life, I live, I've lived myself, live my life so fast by just like doing so many things. Mm-hmm. And then also when I wasn't doing things and I was just drunk or high, that, that I never actually gave myself the moment pause to go, what do I want and what do I need? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and wh- especially like getting to that point of really recognizing like, okay, this is what I want, what I need. This is what I'm going to create for my life newly. Yeah. So you created this song cycle. Mm-hmm. Then somehow connected with high performance yeah. rodeo. Yeah. One yellow rabbit. One yellow rabbit. In, yeah. In Calgary to actually present this. And and even like what you said previously of like, you know, of being in service. Like this is where you get to be in service to present this to yeah, Tony. That was everyone. Not, yeah, it was, so, it was so wild. It was uh, so wild because at no point, at some point in this process, thank you for bringing that. Because at some point in the process, I had realized because it becomes such a sacred thing. Mm-hmm. My engaging with my artistic practice and sitting down at the piano and creating it be it had become something so unbelievably sacred to me um because before I had been what I did uh but then it just became so much more than that because it was the process of my healing it was the process of my transformation it was the process of me becoming a better mother uh the mother that I not a better mother the mother that I wanted to be that I knew mm-hmm. that I was capable of being yeah um that um that I that that's where I resided and so before that it was always like I would engage with music and performance that I love being on stage love it um so that people would like me and love me like that external validation was very very important it's I mean why does anyone get on stage um but it became the only thing I I I would write so that people would like me so that they would love me um 
And, and so that then when the act became sacred, I did not care. It was, and it wasn't in a nasty sort of um, like, I don't care what other people think. It was this really wonderful thing of like, I just need, I just want to create. I'm just going to write these songs because I want to, because I need to, this is my story. I'm going to tell it. If anyone listens to it, wonderful, but that it was just for me that I just needed to, that I just needed to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that then I just didn't, I I, I went in, I I really did go in naively and blindly Mm -hmm. in terms of doing the two concerts. So I did a concert at the end of January and then I had a concert at the end of May. Yeah. And it was a very different experience uh, performance wise for me um, and a whole part five that you'll have to bring me back for to talk about. Um, But but it was just such an incredible uh, concert experience for me to really be fully present again. And I think it speaks to the path that I talk about being present, aware, and responsible is that I was in, I was fully present for my concert experiences. So I was able to um, hold an audience and hold myself and whatever else uh, um, is coming through me um, simultaneously. And and so, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite an experience for me on stage and then to um, receive the to receive the words from people in the audience following that which previous I would have been really uncomfortable with because even though I really needed the external validation for my ego it was still like oh tell me you love me oh but no don't tell me you love me. like that sort of that sort of weird like I don't know even know what it would be it, it was just like ah oh, thank you but I'm not worthy you know, like not being able to receive a compliment or kind of like tossing the, oh, no, I just, oh, I just get up there and do my, nah. like to be able to, to hear, to receive the words from people in the audience about what the song cycle meant to them and hearing the words that I sang and the emotions that I shared and the really dark shit that I shared in those songs, because I do like I really do uh, get into it, um, particularly the songs that uh, revolve around being late at night, because that's where things would get um, quite dicey in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, that to be able to receive how much my music like really, really affected other people so that without me intending to, all I was doing was just like speaking and 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 sharing exactly rawly vulnerably authentically who I am Mm -hmm. that that right there was all that was required for people to have a experience with me as an audience member and a very intense experience which I think like honestly and and I've joked about this many times since um is that I realize what I want to do now as an artist I want to make people cry wonderful right like to actually like really yeah. i want I feel things yes. i want people i want to make people feel things mm-hmm. like that's um yeah and, and, and particularly cry especially with other moms right and that's yeah. what i realized yeah. is that and because i didn't realize what i was doing right because a lot of times my my thing is that like i don't think a lot about what i'm doing i'm just like yeah let's do it there's there is a fearlessness and i, I think there's also just like a um reaction it's like i'm not gonna think about it. let's just do it um i think that's a lot to do with my privilege uh mm-hmm. you know uh i'm educated um i have access to resources i'm white um i have a lot going for me in the in the societal um sort of structure mm-hmm. 
Um, and yet, um, the story of early motherhood, the story of motherhood at all, mm-hmm. you know, um, isn't mm, depicted in art sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if it is, it's depicted in, yeah, I don't know. Um, in ways that really don't ring true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and I mean, that's, that's not to say that there aren't incredible works of art that do speak um, to the parental experience. Um, but yeah, I, um, I, I was really struck by how, yeah, that, that was the next piece that I didn't realize. And I didn't, I didn't really anticipate was, was that yes, sharing my music then becomes another thing. Mm-hmm. That it it now starts to involve other people. Yeah. Um, and so when I was releasing my music to be receiving emails from people and not, not just, uh, well, uh, yeah, not just moms, but um, people who um, didn't really feel comfortable talking about their mental health struggles with anyone else. Like they read the Herald article or they catch a video of mine where I'm talking about uh, mental health. Um and struggles uh, of all sorts of kinds mm-hmm. and, and realizing that, that I take it for granted that I talk about it all the time in my own friends with circles, with my family, with my therapist, but that again, there are millions, possibly billions of people that, that don't actually have these conversations. Yeah. Let alone have access to resources again, because if there's anything that irritates me to no end is, is this idea um, you know, like certain days of the year, we have this let's talk, yeah. whatever days, right? Yeah. And it's all around like, go talk to someone, go talk to someone. People that say, well, just go talk to someone have not actually really gone through the process, I think, of trying to find someone who's available. Uh, and then await like the waiting game, the cost, mm-hmm. like it's very, very prohibitive to be able mm-hmm. to go and just like access a professional. So, mm-hmm. so I think that like, I'm just always very aware of, um, of what I have at my disposal. Um, and also what I continue to make sure that I'm engaging with, because yeah, I still, I still, I fall back on my old coping mechanisms, um, here and there. Um, but I've realized that a lot of times that it's not the actual coping mechanisms themselves that are damaging. It's the relationship and the self-talk that I have around them. Yeah. That if I have one drink and I'm able to shut it off now, um, and have one drink that, that not only is that to be celebrated, which I do, but that, but that me having one drink is not, uh, a question of morality. Like it's yeah. not like, yeah. I, I don't become a good or bad person. Or if yeah. I uh, like uh, some of my other coping me- mechanisms that I fall back on, um, overeating, you give me, mm. I, I can eat like five bags and I'm talking mm. big bags of chips. I can mm. eat like, I can overindulge to the point of making myself sick. Um, and so that, that I don't engage in. Um, and that took a lot of therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I don't engage, but, but, but I do binge sometimes. And when it does happen, I've realized that the self-talk is what actually affects me more than the actual binging. Yeah. So yeah. it's just like, ah, oh, can I, uh, yeah, you feel a little bit ill. Cause you just overate. Um, of course you did. It was delicious. And, and it's your, it's your go-to coping mechanism. <laughs> and, and like, I'm able to just have this, like, you know, the self-talk has changed. The self-talk is, has changed, um, in regards to all of my coping mechanisms. 
Um, and it is, I think I mentioned, it's just a constant negotiation with myself and in a good way, mm-hmm. instead of like, oh, you did that, you suck, <laughs> right? Which is always like, you did that, you're a bad mom. Yes. You did that, yeah. you're a terrible person. Yeah. Um, and I, I have really dealt with um, self-hatred my entire life. And so to be on the other side of that, um, sure. Um, on the, yeah, I'm on the other side. Um, yeah, like 45 years old, like, well, no, I think 44, I was 44. (laughs) Then I actually like mm, 43. I don't know why I get hung up on that sort of linear age, but like the process of it, right? Like to realize, oh, I, oh yeah, I do love myself. That's how, that's what it feels like. Right. And then, and then to go, okay, well, that's how it feels like. How do I nurture that? Yeah. Cause it's not just a flash in the pan. I actually have to practice it. Yeah. Um, so constantly practicing self-love, self-love then turned into self-acceptance, which then was able to finally go, okay, well, I don't hate myself anymore because like just finding self-love wasn't enough to completely slay the beast of self self-hatred because self-hatred had become such uh, a constant companion for me. And it all had, it had become, become, uh, become a thing very early in, on in my childhood um, and then it, I'd been able to romanticize. And I think musicians, I think artists are very good at, at weaponizing and also, um, using it as a creative tool. Um, yeah. but, uh, it had just gotten old real fast. And also like, what, what was I going to be, um, passing on to my daughter? What was she going to be hearing me talk to myself? Cause I think also as I was witnessing is that it, it I don't even have to say words. If I'm in it, am I really in it? she knows. Yeah. She can feel it. Yeah. yeah. I don't have to say, I don't have to, I don't have to shit talk myself in front of her. She can just, she can, she can witness it. And what was really interesting is that like she witnessed it. And is it then what I, what I caught was that like, mom, are you mad at me? Like, is it something? Oh, cause they always, yeah. Yeah. They take it personally. Tony, that's what I did. Right. Like that's, that's that's exactly what I did. My parents were just so tapped out. And that like, I just created this narrative that it was my fault. Everything was always my fault and it wasn't, but, and and they didn't necessarily make me feel like that, but like, I just like, well, this has to be my fault. And it was much more, it was much easier to do that. I think as a, like in terms of birth order, um, you know, being the eldest as well. Mm -hmm. Um, that was something that, um, absolutely I wanted to do just to shield, shield my siblings. Um, and so making, making those conscious decisions, and I think that you probably, I'm sure you cover this in your podcast. Like there are all sorts of things that I can now be aware of knowing full well, that there's a bunch of st- stuff that like, peeling the onion, can right, the onion. Yeah. Peeling the onion. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah. I, uh, so yeah, it's a, a constant work in progress. And, yeah. and I think it's, um, Early on, I, I read uh, Don, what's his name? Miguel. Um, Don Miguel Ruiz. Ru- Ruiz, The Four Agreements. Yeah, yeah, yes. Five Agreements. The Four, the four Agreements. Four Agreements. Yeah, I love. Amazing. Right? Amazing. So amazing. Um, and conceptually, again, um, don't take things personally. Always mm-hmm. do your best. Oh, I'm sorry that we're doing this I know. on your podcast. I know. But those are the two that were big for me. 
Yeah. Right. And I know yeah. we could go to our phones, but yeah, we could. don't take anything personally has been something that has really been helping me mm-hmm. and, 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 and enacting it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't need to take this personally. This has nothing to do with yeah. me. Even if it's being done to me, I don't have to take it personally. Um, so, so I think that again, um, it, he talks about, and I bring him up, um, cause he talks about, your life and, and it might be in a different book of his because I ended up reading a bunch of his stuff because I, yeah. I I so enjoyed his presentation of it yeah. is that yeah your life is that you are an artist of your life um and so you create it like it, it it not going too far into like that you create your own reality but that you create your own life like yeah. the choices that you make literally uh enact whatever it is that is happening in front of you and so um yeah, I'm constantly trying to give myself enough space to make decisions that are going to make me happy and please me rather than doing making decisions and acting them out through the lens of attempting to please other people. Amazing. Anna. So, Kenna. Yes. We're going to have to have you come back. <laughs> Please. And we could talk for hours. And I love it. And thank you so much for sharing everything that you have. Well, I hope that some of it's made sense. Oh, oh, of course it has. It's, it's, and, and again, truly, like, this is why we have this podcast. I guess so. These conversations. conversations. Yeah. And, and again, with our time, like, fastly, fastly ending. Yeah. We're going to have to have you come back so that we can talk more about, again, how non-musicians mm-hmm. and people who do not consider themselves artists yeah. can tap into that creativity and that play yes. for healing, for connecting with their kids, for other people, and just, again, nourishing yeah. themselves yeah. as well. Because yeah. so often we don't make time for that. We yeah. don't make space for that. I mean, I catch myself saying yeah. all the time that I'm not creative, but, yeah. and so that's another piece of your life, which yeah. I that you do. I would love to. Yeah. I would love to, I could talk about that for, for hours as well. I I, I, I want to, I want to do, I, I would love just to say that because again, I've experienced for myself how just the act of creating mm-hmm. has been so uh revelatory i know i've used that word before but i'll use it again mm-hmm. um and it's what i teach in this room here where we're, we're chatting is mm-hmm. uh creativity sessions mm-hmm. and and just and i'll speak to what i what my belief is and it's it's a belief that that um that really is um sort of like what's the word um it's my overarching it's just like it's my it's my north star mm-hmm. is that i that i believe that we are all creative that we mm-hmm. all create and that when we can do so and allow ourselves to create and in that moment experience it rather than which i think happens to us so much is that we create so that we can have the thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That we can, instead of creating to create the thing, because that's what I realized I did. It's like, I wasn't writing to write the song. I was I was writing because I just wanted to, like I just needed to. So I was in this space of just, of just in, not, yeah, enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. It was just being in that space. If, if, if a good song comes out of it, great. 
But what I realized is that when I let go of the product, when I let go of the judgment of this needs to be good yeah, and, and to just create, um, oh my goodness. Um, it, it, it was, it was an undoing because it really emphasized to me again, what my responsibility was, which I think is very scary, but being able to go, I, I, I'm creating this human beings we bring we bring everything into existence it comes from nowhere like we're surrounded by things well you know the plants the plants exist of their own accord (laughs) but like books that have been written Mm -hmm. instruments that have been made Mm -hmm. even all the tech that we're using to to do this podcast Mm -hmm. like it was conceived it came out of thin air through the intervention of a human Mm -hmm. everything is created and and how magical it is and yet we we don't even think about how magical it is and and when we forget how magical it is that we we bring things into being, we become helpless. Mm-hmm. And so when people come to me, uh, all sorts of people come to me, people who are not musicians, lots of non-musicians come to me, particularly I've been having people come to me who want to find their voice. So the thing that I've been working um, with people right now is sound. What, what It's like a fingerprint, right? An auditory fingerprint. What does our voice sound like when we bring it into being? And if we don't care what it sounds like, it's just exactly what it is. Uh, or when we sit down to piano or when we, we draw a picture or dance, like if we just do it and we, and, and we relish and revel in the process of doing it rather than the, than whatever it is that we're creating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a, powerful reminder of how we can change whatever it is that we want about our lives amazing i love it okay so people want to connect with you yes how would they connect with you i'd say so i've been working on a fancy new website so it's up and running uh and yet i would say that the easiest and funnest way to uh connect and interact would be on um any of my social ple- uh, social media platforms so i love doing tiktok videos i'm quite um active on instagram i will share onto facebook um and i'm not on twitter i mean i do have an account on twitter but i just never think to post yeah. so instagram uh and tiktok yeah. would be the great places lots of fun conversations unfold because i'm writing a book so i'm uh, you know pr- asking people questions and prompts and um, because I'm big on conversation as well. Um, yeah. So at Kenabarima, TikTok, um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Um, yeah, you'll, you'll find, I, I mean, I, I, I tend to, yeah, I like to go on. I like to do videos and talk about what I do in these sessions. Um, and it's just something that I feel really passionate about. Um, ah, just like, writing a shitty song. There's just something so wonderful about writing a shitty song. Like I just, I've written so many crappy heartbreak songs and love songs in the last year. Um, and it's just been so freeing and so wonderful. And none of you will ever hear them because they're so bad. Uh, but maybe something will come of them. And, and so like allowing, allowing that to be, um, and and then encouraging others to do the same. Um, yeah, it's the summer of bad music. Love it so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kara. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you, Tony. Thank oh, you. So great. All right. So let's switch gears and I'll share a super mom moment with you. I 
Um, just in the past weekend, you know, Frankie had what it was like, okay, done with screen time, what next? And Frankie wanted to do crafts. So uh, we have a little craft kind of um cubby for her and I was like okay let's pull out some paints and get you painting and and so we set her up on the kitchen table I still you know needed to do some stuff I had some laundry to fold and things so I just had her set up on the kitchen table and did that while I was folding laundry and could be with her while I still needed to get stuff done and she had fun and and even after I was done the laundry I painted a picture of my own um it wasn't too bad if I do say so myself and also huge piece as well, huge super mom moment. I remembered to put a piece of cardboard underneath so that the paint didn't go through the piece of paper onto the kitchen table. So total, um, you know, high five to me. Um, and could definitely still have a mama mess up to share. This is a big one. This is one that's been hanging around for ages in our house. We still have just boxes of Frankie's old stuff around the house. Again, stuff I've been wanting to pass on, um, to possibly sell, to give away, to donate. There's just boxes in the hall, in the garage, in the dining room, even at my mom's house. So yeah, that still needs to get done. Anyway, and then so today's uh, mama must have uh we have been loving again this summer watermelon popsicles so this has been you know previous mama must-haves from previous seasons lisa first shared this um idea of just taking watermelon cutting it up blending it up putting it in those um popsicle um holders molds and just putting them in the freezer and they're just a just a lovely treat for you know hot summer days so again the watermelon watermelon popsicles have been a big hit in our house again fairly cheap easy and again you know sometimes throwing in like uh, you know blueberries or other kind of pieces of fruit in there can be fun but I typically just do the watermelon again it's a great again no added sugar just a lovely snack for the kiddos oh and for us parents too right so let me share what else is happening for uh, myself and Dr. Lisa. My next hypnobirthing session for expecting parents to decrease fear and anxiety to support natural instincts around labor and birth is happening this fall. You can join me at hypnobirthingcalgary.com slash register. And you can also join Dr. Lisa's Facebook group, Wild Woman Adventures Toronto. If you want to get out in nature, connect with other women and push yourself out of your comfort zone. So thanks so much for joining us today. Again, thanks so much to Kenna for joining us. You can find the show notes and all of the links we talked about in uh, perimenopausalmamas.com. You can email us, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love for you to subscribe. Leave us a review and a five-star rating if you enjoyed this episode. And please tell your perimenopausal mamas friends about us too. So stay safe and healthy, everyone. Take care.